The Influencer's Edge is brought to you by the Invisible Influence Series. If you're ready to massively increase your sales by leveraging the power of subconscious persuasion, then make sure you text the word COMPEL to 411-321. That's COMPEL to 411-321. And if you're outside of the United States, then use WhatsApp and text the word COMPEL to 1-909-741-1321. Make sure you put in your best email address because that's how we'll deliver the goodies. Welcome to the Influencer's Edge. This is the place where you come to get the latest breakthroughs, cutting-edge insights, tools, and techniques to leapfrog over the pack in sales, persuasion, and influence. Be sure you visit our website at www.theinfluencersedge.com. And while you're there, subscribe to us via your favorite network. Now sit back, tune in, and enjoy today's episode. All right. I am so super excited about this episode. I, I am blown away by my guest, John and Kathleen Laval. I've had the privilege and the pleasure to know these uh, folks. God, when was the last time we saw each other? Do you even remember? It was 20 years or it was a while. It's been a while. Time, I think the last time I actually saw you was somewhere in London. <clears throat> Did you see me in London? I don't yeah, know. yeah, you were in London. We were in London. And uh, and you, you tapped me and said, hey, I'm over here, blah, blah, blah. We That's right, here. yeah. It's been a long time. So uh, the standard format here is I have to read your biographies. They're so extensive. I'm going to cut them short. So, John, we'll go first with you. John Laval, one of the world's most respected corporate consultants and trainers and co-author of Persuasion Engineering, which I really want to get into, with the boss himself, Richard Bandler. John attended his first practitioner program in the early 80s and quickly learned how best to adapt the technology of NLP into business applications. He gets results, no fluff, blah, 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 blah. That's the bottom line for business. John has a very profound and strong background in human change technologies. Blah, 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 blah. Can we, is that enough? Do we have to go more? (laughs) Okay. Uh, And let's go ahead, Kathleen. Kathleen Estelval is a licensed master trainer of NLP and design human engineering has been conducting training and development seminars for the past 20 plus years. She specializes in customer service, intuitive processing. Hmm, I want to ask you about that. Sales and influence and education. She's also the chief program developer for the group and has developed programs for the banking industry, new home development companies, research and development organizations and pharmaceutical companies. Uh, Kathleen, you're awesome. You're a licensed master trainer of NLP and DHE, which is Design Human Engineering. Uh, there's just so much I could go on about YouTube. I want to welcome you to the Influencer's Edge. Now, we ask a different set of questions here. We're not the standard, how did you get into it? We don't do that. But I do, for those who are not familiar with NLP, neurolinguistic programming, I have to ask you, in all your 20, 30 years of expert, over 30 years of doing this, from your master expertise, what is NLP to you? And either one of you who wants to jump in first, please. Okay, Okay, John. (laughs) 
cough, cough, get it over with. <laughs> we just came out of three weeks of training in a hotel. Wow. So we have the three air weeks of hotel air post-nasal drip and cough. <laughs> well, wait a minute. out of the hotel in once that, in three weeks. <laughs> I, I have a key in the name of Jesus. Just put your hand to the screen. We need John and Kathleen. And that's going to offend my Christian viewers. But I don't, you know, we're, 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 we don't discriminate here. We intend to offend everybody. <laughs> Ask the question again, but now I forgot what it even was. I'm getting old, you know. You know well, the question is to you. As experts, so many people have misconceptions. NLP is the switch pattern. No, NLP is the phobia cure. I want to ask you, what is NLP? I'm, I'm going to borrow Richard's latest definition, which I absolutely adore, is NLP is all about optimizing. That's it. It's about optimizing. It's about optimizing how you think. It's about optimizing how you do things. It's about optimizing strategies that you have that aren't working as well as they could. It's all about getting better. And that's the strategy Richard adopts as well is, you know, he's developed NLP for like 50 years now. That's five zero. You know, I have to change my bio too. the two zero is more like three, five now, 35 yeah. years. <laughs> but um, when he looks at NLP, he is not done because he every consistently optimizes and looks at doing things better, more elegantly, more efficiently, faster. So to me, you know, I think that is the best definition. It's about optimizing, optimizing how you think, how you do things, the results you get. It's all about optimizing your brain. Love that. John? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I, I agree with all that, of course, because she's my wifey. And... Uh, <laughs> But but I gotta tell you what I mean, NLP is about how the brain works with language. I mean that that's the very simplest thing right there. And uh, you know if you learn to use your language better, you're going to get better results in your life instead of whining and bitching and pissing and moaning and all these other things. When when people when people mention a technique and they go, oh, it's a switch pattern. Um, let me tell you what one thing that fascinates me out there. Once in a while, I see somebody out there and they'll say. So what's new in NLP? So that's the general question. So what's new in NLP? And then somebody will come by and blame it on Richard. They'll go, well, what has Bandler developed recently? What the fuck are you blaming on this guy for? Right? And, uh, and so, you know, it's, it's, if they've watched him in action, if they, if, they, if they saw him live in action and what he does, they might understand. You know, it's what you're doing with yourself. And the other thing is uh, we, we don't like naming anything. You know, we named the swish pattern, you know, big deal. That was what he did back in the 80s. You know, and, the and for those people who don't know, the swish pattern is a, can you explain what well, that is very briefly? Yeah, well, I mean, they don't, you know, so, so you know, we've, we've said for years, once you name, because people, Richard will do something, right? He'll give it, he'll do something with someone on stage and somebody goes, well, what's the name of that? We don't have a name for it. Well, we have to have a name for it. No, we don't have to have a name for it. As soon as you name it, now it's, now it's generalized. And everybody thinks that's the only way to do it. They're giving up their flexibility, all this other right. stuff. You know? right. So, you know, we've, uh, Kathleen and I, you know, we've been, we've been calling our stuff pure NLP for the longest time. Even have some people get the balls to steal the fucking name. And, uh, you know, I got to chase them down. It is a registered trademark. But basically, it's basically because we're saying, listen, if you could get your language all nipped and tucked up really, really nicely and really, really well, 
You can use this all the time. What is this? You know, people say, I use, I use my NLP, but I don't use it at home. Holy fuck. Let me talk to your kids. You know? <laughs> I love that answer. I just want to say to the audience, I don't know all the points at which you might find yourself growing more and more fascinated about what John and Kathleen are sharing. But as that's taking place, you might then also discover yourself repeating you're watching this episode over and over again because after all isn't that the way a person can understand a great learning is taking place so i agree with you about the use of language <laughs> yeah that's why it's you know linguistic is the meat in the sandwich man neuro-linguistic programming is the meat in the sandwich come on it's magic you know so yeah and so uh, the next question i have for you is one of my observations about you when i first met you Two is number one, you're madly in love with each other, which is a beautiful thing. You've been together. How many years have you been together? We just celebrated. Oh, go ahead, son. Show them that all husbands do know how long. <laughs> oh, boy. Oh, boy. 39. Yes, <laughs> 39 years. So they're obviously in love with each other. But what I observed as I watched you, as I watched you teach is you're in love with NLP. You're in love with it. It's obviously something, it's a great passion for you. So what I want to ask is, how did you discover? What was your discovery? What was your realization that this wasn't just going to be interesting? What was your moment or what, what was it that made you think to yourself, I'm in love with this. This is going to be a big part of my life's path. Well, let's see. Um, I always loved language when, even when I was a kid. You know, I loved diagramming senses and all that other crazy shit. And, uh, of course, I was forced to do diagramming sentences, but I liked it anyway. And that was Catholic school, of course, you know. So, so uh, but I liked the language. I mean, just, I always did. And I somehow knew intuitively that, you know, you could say certain words in a certain way to somebody and they'd get it. You know, not about beating around a bush, you know, and all this other crap, you know. And, uh, and but I didn't have to do that, of course. So I started in, uh, I was working in a company at the time. And uh, actually, it was it was Thomas English Muffins who was working in there. And I worked in all the functions <coughs> in that company. And I finally ended up, believe it or not, in what I call humming resources. And uh, I wasn't looking for anything special. I was the training guy. And being a training guy, you know, my, my new boss said, you're not doing any training here for two years. And I said, how do you know it's going to take me two fucking years? And I've been training people, by the way, in the other functions. And basically, he said, well... You don't know what you're doing. You're not, I'm not going to let you mess with my manager's heads, you know? And I'm thinking they, they could really use any messing around with their heads. But he said, you're good for the next two years. You're going to go to any training you want. I'm going to pay for everything. And I thought, wow, this is cool. I went to some of the best trainings, picked up little bits here, little bits there, but I wasn't finding anything that I wanted. And then his brochure came past my desk because they joined the ASTD, American Society for Training Development. And they said, uh, it said neurolinguistic programming. I thought, boy, that's a mouthful. And I had to read it a few I did. I said, I have to read this. I had to read it a few times. And it said, in language and behavior. And I thought, holy shit. <clears throat> wow. I went to a one-day taster at Newark Airport. And this woman was doing it. And uh, I cut it real short. She was uh, beginning, in the beginning of the day. You know, she, she asked, who's afraid of something in the class? This is like 10 minutes in. And this guy raised his hand. And she says, what is it? And he says, well, I'm afraid of being up in front of a group of people. And I started laughing my ass off. Because I'm, I'm thinking, she's going to bring his ass up in front of this group. So she goes down. She tells him to close his eyes. She grabs him by the hand. She brings him up. 
sits him in the chair and with his eyes closed and says to him, uh, well, when you think about being in front of a group of people and she pauses and this guy goes white knuckles, man, white knuckles in the chair, you know, like this. And I'm laughing. I'm the only one in the class laughing. Everybody else is like, oh, my God, that's a horrible thing. You know, me, I'm laughing. I don't know why. And uh, so she whispers something in his ear. And she was well, she first she touches him on the shoulder. So she touches him on the shoulder. And I did. I thought I should have volunteered. She's touching this guy, you know, I, you know just <laughs> and then uh, and then she whispers something in his ear. I have no idea what she said. Guy lights up like a Christmas tree like this. And she touches him on the shoulder again. And I'm going, I should have volunteered, whatever. And then she uh, she touches him again. And this guy goes Blanco's in the chair. All this crazy shit in the chair. And I'm going, oh, this is entertaining. Now what's going to happen? And he finally calms down, you know, he slows down a little bit like that. And she said, how you doing? He says, good. She says, open your eyes and say hello to the class. And he opens his eyes and he goes, hello. And I'm like, holy shit, fuck. And she said, are there any questions? I shot my hand in the air, man. I had a question. And she said, what's your question? I said, when do we get to that Jesus Christ stuff? You know? <laughs> she said, what are you talking about? I said, the water into wine. When do we get to that? She goes, no, 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 it's not like that. And I, I did touch it. Don't lie to me. You touched him and he's healed. Okay, let's get to that. Come on, let's get to that. Skip, skip, skip on, skip on. And uh, anyway, she said, no, no, no. So I bought a bunch of books. I couldn't go to the seminar just yet. It was a teaser for a prac. Did you like, get, by the way, uh, my first exposure was Frogs and the Princes of Blue Mountain. Oh, Frogs. I had Structure 1, Structure 2, Frogs. I mean, you name it, I had it, whatever it was that was, was out by that time. Using your brain for a change was my entrance point. Yeah, I read that yeah. book and I was like, damn, I'm going. Yeah, that <laughs> wasn't yeah, that was an option. I, I think that was, I think they didn't have that yet. I'm trying to remember because this was like 80, about 83 or 82, 80, in between there. So I, I took the books. I had to go traveling around. I had to go do, you know, projects and stuff. So I took a look and read the books, wrote in them, you know, do all this stuff. And I ended up signing up for a prac, you know, and. Uh, training for those who don't know. Sorry. I'm just saying to the audience, that's practitioner training for those. Practitioner people. training. And uh, yeah, I went to my boss because he said he's going to pay for everything. And I said, I'm going to go learn this NLP stuff. And he said, nope, not paying for that. And I thought, what? You said. He said, I know what I said, but I'm not paying for that. I said, why not? And he said, because I'm going to go on my time, by the way. You know, I'll go on my time. I don't care about that, but you can at least pay for it. And he said, because I know all about NLP. And I'm thinking, you bastard, you didn't tell me anything about NLP. Not that he took any training, but we hired a consultant with our company, who was actually trained by both Richard and John in the early 70s. John is John Grinder, for those who don't know. So John, John, yep. John Grinder and Richard Down are the co yep. So I so I told uh, I told my boss, I, he said, no, and I, and I know all about NLP, and it's very, very manipulative. Yay! <laughs> and he said to me, he said, well, and we don't manipulate people here. Is it, John, just parenthetically to interrupt you there? What do you, we'll get to the rest of it. And Kathy, I want you to address this one right away as well. What do you say to people who say NLP is manipulation? So, yeah, well, so you know what? At least we know what we're doing. <laughs> Kathleen? Yeah, absolutely. You know, and why is that a bad thing? Manipulate just means to move something from one place to another. So if you move bad feelings to good feelings, fears to freedom, yeah, it's manipulation. Guilty. <laughs> uh, and I tell people when they say, aren't you teaching me to manipulate people? Aren't you manipulating me? I say, yes, and I charge $1,500 an hour. Give me your credit card. <laughs> so, well, John, you know, so, um, what was your, let me cut to the chase here. When was your first introduction to Richard Bandler? When you first began to learn from him, what was your impression? <laughs> 
my first introduction was easy. He was coming into New Jersey to do a small 25, no more, no more than 25 people. Kathleen's is a little different, her first experience with him. But uh, yeah, and he pissed me off. He was there for three days and he went around the room and said, you know, 25 people. He went around the room and said, what do you want? Somebody go, oh, my one. He go, bam, 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 bam. You're done next. And he went around the room like this, you know, and he got to me. It takes a little bit of work to really practice NLP and get it. Yeah. You know, you can't, you, know, you can't just ignore it. You know, you got you to practice. And I said to him, I said, I said, listen, I'm really tired of having to think about all these skills. You know, when do I watch this? When do I do this? When do I anchor that? You know, all these things. And he said, looked at me and he said, oh, yeah, you want to take you one of those. You want to take the easy way out. And I said, of course. And what I didn't say to him was, don't you? You know, then he ignored me and went on to the next person. He pissed me off for three days. Wow. Kathleen? Well, my first experience was the graduation party they had when John did his practitioner. Richard was still in town. And um, so they invited him to the graduation party and they let the people bring like their spouses or significant others to the party. So we walked into this big ballroom, music was going, lights, and there was tons of people out on the dance floor and everybody was having a great time. And John and I walked in and a few people came running over to John to, you know, hey, oh, this is my wife and this is your wife and they're introducing everybody. And I'm next to John going like this on his shirt uh, sleeve. And, and he's like, what, what? And I go, who's that? There was this guy in the middle of the dance floor. I remember to this day, he had a white shirt on with a black vest, black pants, a black fedora. And he was dancing. And it was like this beams of light were coming off him. I don't want to sound weird here, but no, no. Swear to God, it was like this gold beams of light coming off him in every which direction. And it was kind of settling over the whole dance floor. And everybody was just in this energy, you know, and, and I just kept, I was like, he's like, what, what? <laughs> he was trying to introduce me to his friends in the class. And I'm like, who's that? And he looked over and he goes, oh, that's Richard. And I went, Richard Bandler? And he said, yeah. And I went, I want to go meet Richard. <laughs> Richard that's interesting. Saw Richard That's an interesting Bandler. thing in that story. This brings up a very interesting point. And I really want you guys to address this. I, 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 this is not a traditional show. When something comes up and I, I grab onto it because I think it's an interesting point. One of the best definition, this is early on that I got of NLP from watching Richard. One of the things I would do is pay attention, not to the technique, but to how he thinks, his process. How did he come up with this? How does, how, what's his manner of thinking? His, uh, he looks at the world from a completely different way. He presupposes things. If someone says this is a weakness, Richard goes, no, in a different context, this could be a strength. How can I do that? But also what I got early on, I'm not trying to make this about me. I'm sharing this so you guys can address this question. What I got early on is, wait a minute, this is not about the trail of techniques. This is about the modeling that allows you to come up with the trail of techniques. And I think he got early on that I understood that. That's why I think he liked me. But what I want to ask you, here's the big question. Do you think that where he's radiating that gold light, that degree of charisma, whatever you call it, do you think that could be modeled and then talk to people or is that charisma just inherent? I don't think so. I mean, I think anybody can do that. Anybody can learn it. When we have a seminar called Charisma Enhancement, you know, which is our trainer's training, and we teach people how to utilize that. 
And I think what, what makes him, it, he does it so easily is because he's worked so hard at optimizing everything he does. There isn't anything he does without thought or process to it. I don't care if it's packing a suitcase or unpacking a suitcase. And we've all watched that. And it's like a work of art, you know, or, or whether he's sitting with a client in front of him who's maybe an addict or maybe, um, you know, someone who's depressed or someone who's just lost, you know, and, and it's the same methodical process in his brain that, you know, he looks at everything. And like you said, he doesn't see weakness, you know, because if, if quick example, if you're a good procrastinator, you know, and you have that strategy down, you can look at the garage and say, I'm going to clean it. And then you don't, you might think that's a bad strategy, but there are things you want to procrastinate, like getting sick or, or the ultimate or, you know, feeling bad, feeling stressed, procrastinate that. So he looks at everything as a tool and a lot of things as a toy as well. So, you know, it just doesn't matter with him. It's, you know, he's constantly, like you said, you hit it right on the money is that, you know, he looks at everything as how can he use this to help the client in front of him or the class in front of him, the students in front of him. I, when I started training NLP, I didn't care what seminar he was teaching. If Richard was going to be teaching, I was there and I would call him up and say, I want to register, not Richard, but I would call up and say, I want to register for the seminar. And they go, let me tell you about the seminar. I said, I don't care. I don't care if he's basket weaving. I don't care if he's teaching how to steam clean your carpets. I'm there. <laughs> you know? Because just time in front of what John and Richard do, and John Laval now I'm talking about, when they're on stage, what they do, you know, is the students learn what they came to learn, but they also get such a mindset change, such a paradigm change in terms of it's infectious, this whole thing of optimizing everything you do and improving your life and being happier. The students just blossom during the seminar besides the information they learn. Yeah. Which I, I, have exactly. I have to interject here for a moment because of my overly modest wife sometimes. She does a fantastic job on stage. Well, thank you. So, <laughs> what, what I wanted, there's one more piece of that question. People who are very skeptical say to me, because, you know, in my former career, it's Walsh Giffords. <laughs> I, I would teach guys how to have charisma with women and blah, blah, blah. And I would have people who were completely 40-year-old virgins who were totally skeptical. And they would say, well, if this works, could you make anybody a Mozart? Could you take someone who has no musical talent and take them the equivalent of a Mozart? What I've often thought there's some level of human genius that just cannot be, it, it can be modeled, but there's no way for anyone to get to that level. What would your answer be if someone said to you, could you take someone who has no knowledge of music and get them to the point where they're a Mozart? Well, I tell people the following thing, they go, well, how do you, you know, there's only a couple of requirements for NLP, but they can run pretty deep. There's only two. One, you have to have a brain. And, 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 I'll, and I'll make a joke about that. You have to have a brain. Two, you have to want to use it. And that's where the depth part comes in, because people go, well, you know, I heard about NLP, like you can get somebody to play it like Mozart in an hour. Nobody ever said that. You got to go take piano lessons. You know, we can get the motivation going. We can give you strategies for speeding it up a little bit, you know, all those kind of things. But you still got to practice you know, they forget, they forget there's a major part that all the people get fuck it up to get, they don't get this. 
You got to input the data. Then you got to store the data. You got to process the data. No, 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 right? Then you got to practice the data. You've got to then output the skills. Either in words or behavior, you've got to output the skills because you got a picture on the inside, right? And you got to do the behavior and then you got to match that picture with what you're getting on the outside. If it's not matching, you got to change something. Okay. So they don't get this part. They're, they're, they're getting the one thing that I can just do. You're going to play like Mozart. Uh, so, and, and it's highly dependent, of course, upon the partner, of course, I mean, all of that. So one, they got to have a brain and two, they have to really, really, really want to learn to use it. And that's, and that's a, that's a real, that's a real deep desire to do that. You know, a lot of people want to take the shortcut stuff, you know, oh, you know, I want to, da, da, da. you know, they don't, they don't get that. They have to work at this. I'd like to add one thing to that. We have a lot of trainers now who work with, say, Olympic athletes. We have a trainer in Italy, a master trainer in Italy, and he works specifically with some um, of the Italian national teams and some uh, international um, Olympic athletes. And it's like as good as he is, you can't take Harry the couch potato and hand him to our trainer and expect an Olympic athlete in a week or two weeks or even a month or even a year, you know, because even Mozart, they're all things that happened in his life when he was a little boy, when he maybe his relationship with his mommy, not to get too therapeutic here. You know, <laughs> you know but you know, there was things that he developed when he was growing up, his beliefs, his values, his morals, his, you know, that added to his creativity and his love for music and his this and that and this and that. So the everything is a big mixture of stuff. So can you take somebody and improve them? Yes. Can you make them Mozart? No, because, you know, they're not, they haven't done everything that Mozart did in terms of the way he grew up, the beliefs, the values, the things he experienced in life. You know, Richard does a, a thing on stage, every master practitioner, and the practitioners get to see it as well, um, where he brings people up from the audience and he puts them in front of uh, pads and, and canvases that have the belief. He asks first, who here believes they're not artistic? You know, and then people raise their hand and they go, how do you know? And they go, well, you know, my art teacher told me once, well, you are not artistic. You know, the post-hypnotic. And there's no such thing as hypnosis, by the way. (laughs) You are not musical. You know, you are not artistic because you couldn't draw a bowl of fruit when you were three. You know, and uh, yours look like, as Richard says, somebody sneezed on a page and the, the little kid next to you has got a perfect bowl of fruit. So therefore, you are not artistic. And people believe that stuff. Now that's we criminal, by the way. Forgive me, for, forgive me for interrupting. This whole social programming that you can't do things, it, it is a form of hypnosis. And I, it, it's criminal to, to it is be criminal. children like that. We, we see the results of this in our seminars and in our coaching clients. We see the result of all this post-hypnotic. And Richard has these people up, four or five people, maybe a couple people for music. And... Within 15, 20 minutes, they're creating amazing paintings, you know, because he puts them in a hypnotic trance. He teaches them in the hypnotic trance, a strategy for art, creating art. And then he brings them out of trance and he puts all this stuff in front of them and he has them just start creating. And it's and it's a simple strategy that he teaches them. And it it it's amazing. The paintings that come out of that on stage in 20 minutes. Um, quick story, we had one woman, he did it in London, 
And she went out to the pub with some friends after and she had her canvas because it was still a little wet, leaning on the booth against the wall. And the guy walked by and he said, oh, is that for sale? Because sometimes pubs <laughs> and restaurants put artwork, you know, and they sell them. And she said, she goes, no, I just bought it. And he goes, I'll give you 400 pounds. And she wow. said, no, it's not for sale. He goes, 600. He goes, I have to have that painting. And, and he was up to like 800 pounds. And she wouldn't sell it. And of course, when she told the story to Richard the next day, Richard said, you know, you could have painted another one. Because <laughs> 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 she wouldn't, because it was to her, it meant so much. It was an anchor, that photo, that painting. That and that's to me, this is the other thing I noticed. And I don't want to make it about my interjections because I really love to make this interview about my guests. Yeah. I noticed that when Richard does what he does, like he does that thing with changing beliefs that people are painting. It's also an incredible metaphor for the people in the audience who are not on stage that they can change anything. It's installing that belief, not because Richard is saying, I'm installing the belief that you can do anything. Mm -hmm. He may say that, but the big thing I notice that he does is when he does that change, it's similar to what I've done when I've done my uh, get laid seminars, I'm just going to say it, that when people are on stage on a change something and someone, everyone in the audience is getting that that's possible for them. Yeah. You think he's good? Uh, my understanding, when I observe him, I think he's well aware of that, that he's demonstrating what he's teaching as he's teaching it. Is that accurate? Oh, yeah, we all do. That's part of NLP. If there's an NLP trainer out there who's not doing NLP while they're teaching NLP, not living it, demonstrating it, walking their talk, et cetera, then it's like, it's, it's not effective. You know, you need to be demonstrating what you're doing. Usually we're demonstrating something that we haven't even gotten to yet, but we're demonstrating it ahead of time. You know, it's, um, we're always using it, you know, to do what we have to do on stage and it works, you know, and people get that people feel the difference, whether somebody's just talking about it or they're actually doing it. No, I, I want to dive into the application for persuasion and sales in just a minute because the audience, the, the podcast is called The Influencer's Edge and a prime chunk of our audience are salespeople and entrepreneurs who want to learn how to use cutting edge, like the best stuff to make more money, improve their business skills and their sales skills. But one more thing I want to ask you, if I haven't asked it already, what does it take to be good did I already ask that question? What does it take to be good at doing NLP? What do you think is required to be really good at it? What does it take to be good at it? As opposed to walking on coals and going, yeah, yeah, I can do it. I can do it. Uh, yeah, you, you, take a, you take a skill a day and you just practice that thing, man. People say, well, I don't know, you know how do I practice? I go, you're kidding me. You know, you get, you, if you're walking in a store, you got the cashier to deal with. Start with that. You know, try to influence them. At least give you a smile. Come on, you know, because if you're if you're if you're gonna if you're gonna use it, you know, if you're gonna learn to use NLP, you should be able to use it in all your life. I agree. You're, you're in everywhere in your life. So even my little granddaughter, who's only a year and a half old just yet, is already doing NLP with us and to us and for us. <laughs> and uh, did you give uh, us? Uh, what is she doing at one and a half? Well, even when she was first born. She was only about a couple of months old. You know, I got to hold her, of course, and I, I did the thing on her nose. I go, beep, beep. And she looked at me like that, and I go, beep, beep on her nose. And then I touched my nose, and she touched my nose. 
Okay, but she didn't say beep, beep. I had to go beep, beep, but she'd want to touch my nose. So she's already got the concept down of modeling, um, which is not, she's really not difficult for kids. It's a matter of what you want them to learn. Of course, I agree. And, uh, and she, uh, she was about six months and they put a, a playpen in their living room, not a playpen, but a, a big a wall, basically a, a plastic playpen stuff. Plastic fence that you can put yeah. around to put like a right. mat down so they can play and be in a little yeah. corral, baby corral. Yeah. And it's got a gate. It's got a gate on it. And she'd watch her mother. Now, she's not even standing up yet. She'd watch her mother or her father open the gate because there was a little latch. You had to open it. I had to turn the latch. Right. You see where camera goes. You got to turn the latch and unlatch it and then open the door, push the door out. And she's watching this for a little bit. Next thing we know, she stands up. Got on a video. My son's got a video. She stands up, grabs it, pulls herself up. She stands up, reaches through this gate. She's six months. Opens the latch, pushes the gate open, pushes the gate open, drops to the floor, crawls out of the, the, the cage, basically, and goes, aha, like that. She did that? Uh-huh. 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 <laughs> so, so. It's part of universal sounds, you know. Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. For a second. Because I remember Richard saying, this really grabbed me, like, what is the sound for curiosity? Hmm. And when you get curious, it opens up a completely different neurocircuitry. I think you're actually engaging the brain in neuroplasticity with language. Yeah. Uh, when yeah. you make those simple sounds like, hmm, it's so she much better. Than, mm-hmm. Yeah, she yeah. does those. She'll see something happen and she'll go, hmm, like this, or she'll go, ooh, like that. Yeah, she loves and, it. And uh, wow. now, now she's, well, now she goes, wow. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> So and I, and I and I we really credit my son and, and his wife for that because they spent a yeah. lot. John Jr. A lot. Yeah. Well, yeah. He was raised the same way. He was raised in NLP. You know, it's it was something that from the time he was little, he would tell me. You know, because um, I used to tell him that you could, you know, run things backwards. One of the old phobia techniques, you run things backwards and forwards and backwards and forwards and stuff. So I would tell him how to do that. And he'd get up in the morning, he'd say, I had a bad dream. And his dragons were chasing me and they were going to eat me. But then I just ran the movie backwards and I went back to sleep. (laughs) 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 Or his immune system, he'd say, I don't feel good. I have a sore throat. I'm going to go upstairs and talk to my soldiers. And he would go inside and he'd talk to his immune system. I told him they were soldiers and he could pick, you know, the the, the outfits and the weapons. And, you know, so he had dragons and he had all kinds of things in his immune system. And he would, you know, be three or four years old. And he'd go, I have a sore throat. I'm going to go upstairs and talk to my soldiers for a little bit. Like, okay, go ahead. <laughs> you know? But he was raised in it. We, you know, we, we went to seminars, hung out at seminars when he was little. He used to hang out with Richard when Richard wasn't training. And uh, so he's pretty much ingrained in it. And now he's doing it with his daughter as well. I love that immersion. That's one of the things I also... Yeah. Heard Richard says you got to immerse yourself in it to really get good at it. Can't be something if you only do it at a seminar. This is what I notice about people, and I want to give it, Richard and all of you there to Society of NLP such big props. Is I and how can I do this without seeming like putting other people down? I've noticed in other trainings that are not certified by you guys. Uh, I won't mention. Uh, the son of Jad Thames with timeline therapy, but let's use, uh, I think you know who I'm referring to. Anyway, I've noticed people come out of that and they're really enthusiastic. They can do it in the seminar, 
It's what I call seminar NLP. But as soon as they get out of that context and the anchors of all that support aren't there, they can't do the shit at all. Yeah. I don't One know, of the things I don't know what else to say. When, when seminars sometimes are taught in other places, they teach a technique. And so you have to learn that technique and you have to learn that technique steps. And that technique will work until it doesn't. Because you're always going to come across one person who doesn't think that way. And you're doing that same technique with that same person. And they don't think that way. It's a different strategy for the same problem. And so that's why we pride ourselves. And we spend the first three, four days of our practitioner teaching you skills, teaching you skills, because the techniques only work until they don't. And then you have to have the skills to go, ooh, I'm going to need a piece of this technique and a piece of that technique and a little metaphor and a shot of hypnosis and we can fix this. You know, um, it's not going to be ABC one, two, three. Correct. Single time. And Correct. that's the difference. We teach the skills. We teach the, the fundamentals, the attitude, everything that goes with that. You know, we learn from Richard and, and we learn from living in New Jersey most of our life, all that attitude. <laughs> and, I think uh, this is just, again, my observation. I don't want to make it about me. But if you, one of the things that, that just grabbed my brain when I heard Richard say it in an event seminar, he said, you can be thorough without being serious. That, yeah. that has changed my whole way of approaching life. Sometimes he's so good. All you have to do is hear him say one thing. You can be thorough without being serious. And that has changed my whole approach across every context yeah. and everything. I, I yeah. had a similar experience one time in the seminar when he said, he goes, the, the problem with most human beings is they have a serious illness. It's called terminal seriousness. <laughs> you know? and, uh, and I was like, damn it. You know, it was just that little thing. It just flipped. And I went, you know, why are we, you know, there has to be another way to look at things. You can't just take everything so seriously. You know, and I'm, I'm the serious person. I used to take things all serious all the time. You know, and, and it just, for me, it was a little thing like that. It just flipped. And I was like, everybody laughed. And I went, I laughed, but it hit me inside. I went, damn. You know, it's like, duh. Yeah. Funniest one I ever saw him doing was a guy, uh, I forget where, I think we were in San Francisco, and, and he got on stage, and Richard said, you sure you want to do this in front of everybody? The guy says, yeah, sure. I was, all right, let's go at it. And he says to the guy, so let me see if I got this right. So you can get an erection. Yes. And when you're ready to, to penetrate and insert it, the, the, the erection goes away. Is that what you're telling me? That goes, yeah. Which says, I got to ask you something. How can you fuck up something a dog can do? <laughs> that was the end of that. <laughs> no technique needed. <laughs> <laughs> let, me dive into, let me dive into this. Because I get this question. I get amateur questions. Like, which is more powerful, NLP or hypnosis? And my answer is yes. <laughs> right. Either are questions. So what? Uh, all that aside, what is uh, what is the relationship between NLP and hypnosis? Uh, or uh, I know it's an amateurish question, but I have to ask the questions that are maybe on people's mind. Well, I, th I think they sort of go hand in hand. I mean, you know, there's a lot of let's say hypnosis was going on, NLP was going on, you had a lot of this uh, human development stuff going on. You know, all these things at that particular time. Uh, Richard, um, when he lived, when he had his place in, uh, in Santa Cruz in the mountains, his next door neighbor was, um, uh, who's that guy? 
Gregory Bateson. Gregory Bateson. Now, Richard happened to own that house, by the way. So Gregory Bateson was actually his tenant. Oh, wow. Yeah. A lot of people don't know some of the details. And so, and so, uh, so, and Bateson said to him, you got to go meet this guy. And he's like, like, why? You know, so he explained a little bit about the hypnosis thing. Now, remember, probably even a little bit before that, because one of the first things Richard was doing was he was doing what he would call experimental hypnosis. He started messing around with experimental hypnosis. And uh, that's how John met him. John okay? Yeah. Um, and he'll tell you that, you know, John, John will say that. We, we stay in touch with John to a certain degree, by the way, just so, just so you know. Uh, we, 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 keep, we keep open communications with uh, John Grinder. Good. And we have for a long time. Good. Uh, yeah, yeah, I, I, I'll say that. So, uh, so then they went and saw, and saw Grinder, you know, and, and I have to tell you, people hear stories, you know, well, you know, uh, Richard will say, yeah, when I, when, I was, when I was working with Milton, you know, I was taking, I was taking shorthand. For those who don't know, forgive me, John, I have to interject. For those of you who don't know, that's Milton Erickson. Milton Erickson. The founder, the founder of modern hypnotherapy. I think he was to hypnosis. Well, we, we actually have, um, I forgot to remember his name, uh, the guy who runs the Ericksonian Foundation came to Orlando once. Oh. And he wanted to say hi to Richard and everything else. And I asked him, would he, you know, would he be more than happy to do an interview with Richard or do something and, you know, get it on video or whatever. And uh, he basically said, if it wasn't for Bandler and Grinder, Ericksonian hypnosis would still be in the dumps. Because they put it on the map. So, and he said that. And I appreciated that he said that too. Good guy, real good guy. So, uh, just, just him saying that. But, but people, they say Richard said, he don't say, say too much about it anymore, but he used to. But he said, I took shorthand. When I, when, I, when I took my notes on Milton, I did a musical notation. And everybody's thinking, oh, what a crock of shit. That band was such a bullshitter. Well, when we were in court one time back in 2000, we're going to remember that. I remember I know. that. I was, everyone was there in Santa Cruz. You were there, man. And he remembers that too. I know. Okay. He remembers that. Yeah. And, uh, and appreciated the fact that you, you were there. Really. We all appreciated the fact that you were there. And uh, I wound up having tacos with him. I was there with a uh, couple people I'm no longer friends with. And they say, oh, can you introduce us to Richard? I said, if Richard wants to be introduced, he'll find us. Don't worry yeah. about it. And we, yeah. we went and line, got in line for tacos. And who was there in front of us but the man himself? <laughs> yeah. And somebody asked me once, uh, because the, the, they didn't stop in, but they heard about the case and everything. And they said, I heard that uh, Ross Jeffries was there. I said, that was his name back then, you know. And I said, yeah. They go, well, wh wh why was he there? And I said, well, the truth is, and, and uh, I didn't have this discussion with him, of course, but knowing him, he was check checking how the case was going, and he might have had to help get the judge laid and a few other people laid too, kind of thing. <laughs> the only thing I can think of. Um, but yeah, uh, and uh, yeah, so he he he. We're, we're going through the notes, and he had files and files and files of stuff. And I open up this folder, you know, not in the courtroom, but in, in the judges in the in the uh, lawyer's office. And open up this friggin' sheet of paper that's this fucking wide, and it's all musical notation, and it's dated, and it says. You know, this date, this date with Milton Erickson, and he had it on musical notation. I was going to um, ask that. And uh, again, yeah. again, I get so excited. Forgive me if you are. Uh, I want Kathleen, I want your opinion on this in just one second. I, I ask your indulgence because I'm so excited to have you guys here. It's, it's like, uh, <laughs> I actually was nervous. I don't get nervous. It's excitement, not nervousness. Um, oh my God. 
I'm going to ask Richard this when I interview him. So don't tell him. Uh, I'm going to say, how much is the fact that you're a musician? How much the fact, how much of your being a music, musician enabled you to see process rather than get tied up on everything else? Could you have been so skilled at doing what you did as far as modeling Milton and the rest of them if you weren't a musician? Now, I didn't under, know what you just told me at all. I, and I guess that does make sense. If I didn't see those papers myself, I'd still be guessing, you know. But then he took the papers. Oh, give me those. I, I got to save those. I, so I don't know where they ended up going. <laughs> Knowing Richard, who knows? In hypnosis, it was the rhythm and the cadence was just as important as the things that Milton was saying. And, and that's why he, he as soon as he heard Milton, he was like, I got to get I got to do this on, on musical notation. And remember, Richard was a mathematician. Computer scientist, math, music, they go together, right? right. Those things go, they, they go together. And uh, I only know that because I was a musician. So I didn't pick everything up as fast as Richard did with, with the, the technology, but I, I started to understand it pretty well. And once in a while, he even tells people, if you want to learn more about how to do this, read these following books, you know, transformational linguistics, uh, computational this, computational that, you know, all these things. Uh, polya patterns, which are they're easy enough. You know, those are if you want to make arguments about things. And uh, and he just tells you here, just go out and read these books. Good luck, you know. So I always remember when I saw him. I don't know if it's, uh, he had a period of time when he was working with Patrick Moraz from Moody from what band was that? <laughs> Moody, Moody, or, and he yeah. always, he always had music, and he would always tap his foot. Richard always had a beat on. I don't. I haven't seen him in a, a beat going. You know, I don't know if that's still the case, but that had to be the musician in him come at, at all times. Yeah. Well, I don't know if he does what, what Kathleen and I do. Wait, I don't know. Uh, I don't ask him because I don't want to interrupt what he's doing. Right. I don't, want, I don't even want him to delve into it because then he might, you know, I don't, I'm not saying he would unravel. Got it. Got it. Uh, we, play, we, play music, we play music in our head. We play, we play rhythm. You know, we, we play the little blues in our head. You know, nothing like Metallica or anything like that, but we play some music on our head. For two reasons. One is so we can keep a rhythm going. And number two, because it jams our internal dialogue. We can't go in and start talking to ourselves on stage. That's a, you know what? That is a brilliant gold nugget you just dropped for anyone who has to do a stage now, presentation. You just we have a, And we have a bunch of those gold nuggets. <laughs> <laughs> I know you do. That's why you're here. Let's turn to the applications for sales. Because like I said, so many of our listeners, viewers, actually, are salespeople, entrepreneurs. They want the cutting edge. What is the application to sales? And if you want to talk about persuasion engineering, because I remember that blew me away too. So what is, if we can go into, how is the application of NLP, persuasion engineering, work applied to sales? People are watching us there. I want to make more fucking money. Yeah. How can I do that? Yeah. Well, what we've done basically is, uh, well, first of all, the way we came up with the name is, you know, Richard used to do this, this five-day thing called Patterns of Persuasion. And that was a good seminar. Um, it needed a little bit of, up, you know, jazzy stuff, you know, really needed to be up, updated a little bit. And then we were doing design human engineering. So we're in, we're in uh, ca um, Canada getting ready to start a seminar. The doors are closed. Where I'm on stage with Richard, and he always says this to me. He looks at me and goes, what seminar is this? <laughs> And I said, well, I'll tell you what, Richard, um, since, since it's got components of patterns of persuasion, 
and it's also got some components of design human engineering, I said, let's call it persuasion engineering. Right. And he says, wow, great. Open the fucking doors. And they open up the doors and we're going, welcome to persuasion engineering. That's how, the, that's, that's how the name came about. So what happened was I was working, in, I was doing a lot of corporate work and doing a lot of sales. Trade. Kathleen was too, by the way, with, with, with me. Uh, we, were, we were one of the companies we worked with way back then in the early, early 90s, probably, was uh, the country's second largest new home builder. We worked with them, uh, Ryland Homes. I don't even care to name the name. I'll name the name, Ryland. They're all over the U.S. They were second largest at that time. And so, and we had a contract to go in there with them for, I'd say about about five years and and things. So, develop more things in that, you know, the whole thing with that. But I, I realized so that people needed to have, not, not scripts. I hate scripts. You know, I understand the script thing. Uh, people needed to have a systemic approach to selling. Unpack that. What's that? Unpack that, if you will. What does that mean? So they don't have to do everything in the, in the systemic approach that I built, but they have to have, they have to know what they all are because no matter what they're selling, okay, no matter what they're selling, first of all, you could start off with their selling feelings. They missed that part. They got to start selling feelings. I don't care what you call it. You know, it's feelings, you know, whether you're new home, you're selling sex, you're selling whatever, can of beans. You got to get in the feel good or they're not going to make the decision because that's the end of the strategy. They already feel good. They feel right about it. But <clears throat> there's all kinds of skills in, in, in anybody who's using NLP to teach selling. Problem, people would take the shortcuts and say, well, you, get, you elicit this, you know, elicit their meta programs, elicit this. That's crazy. You know, you don't, gotta, you don't have to elicit all of those things. You can, and there's a way of eliciting them. And, 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 and we, we address a very important question because most people would say, well, you know, you don't ask the why, you know, you tell us not to ask the why question. I said, I've never told you not to ask the why question. I've told you if you ask the why question at the wrong time in the wrong context, you're going to get caught up in a fucking loop. So you've got to get enough data Forget your PowerPoint. Throw that shit out the window. You, if I ever catch any of my people walking into a company with PowerPoint, I told them I'll break their fingers, and I'm going to break and I'm going to break their iPad and all this whatever else they're using for PowerPoint. John, John, quit beating around the bush and say what you really think. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I've always had problems with you know being myself and expressing my emotions, <laughs> and hiding my emotions. But anyway, so, so so I put together this systemic approach where. They have to collect enough data and and enough data means there's probably areas in their business. Like you're going to do a seminar. So you might think, well, I got to have certain questions I have to answer. They're going to be the course of the seminar. What's the location? But did you think about where they can have lunch? You might not think about that. Right. But if you're going to sell that seminar, you got to have a whole bunch of information ready. Okay. Or you risk, you risk buyer's remorse. Forget about making promises you can't keep. That's one, that's one major problem that people do. So, so the systemic approach means, you know, you start here and you end up closing the damn sale, you know, and there's, and there's all these steps in between. You don't have to do all the steps. You can even skip around. Matter of fact, you can close a sale just like that on the come line. It doesn't matter as long as you have enough data and the person's ready. You know, people say, well, you got to recognize the buying signals. Well, you got to be a fucking stone out, as we say in New Jersey, if you're not going to recognize the buying signals. You know, um, so it truly is a systemic approach. I've had people come back and quadruple. If there's a couple of scenarios, one, 
are they in charge of how much money they can make? That's one. Okay. That's one, one, one. That's a, those, those people are animals. Okay. They're on pure commission. If they don't sell, they don't eat. Right. And then you have people who are on a salary plus a commission. Okay. They're a little bit lazy asses. Okay. As long as they're, as long as they're cutting the nut once a month, they're getting their paycheck, blah, 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 whatever. And then there's the other ones who are just on a salary. They're usually order takers. They're not even salespeople. Okay. So, but I've had people quadruple their income, especially people that are animals. Yeah. And, they, and they go, and I said, so what do you attribute that to? They go, you made it easy, man. You know, people beat around the bush too much. They ask all these stupid questions that have nothing to do with getting to the point. And, uh, and if you ask the right questions, you're going to get good data. And if you get good data, it makes it easier to go move towards the close. Um, I mean, yeah, it's, 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 I don't know how to explain it better than that. I mean, I can get into more detail if you want, but. Well, really- I, I do want you to do so, but Kathleen, can you answer, can you address this? Yeah, I mean, with, with persuasion engineering, it's, you know, what John is talking about, he has this perfect sales model that, that he teaches. Um, but there's also, in that is the things that we take from design human engineering and from neuro-linguistic programming, because it's the way you ask the question. So using the language patterns, you know, that we, the Milton model, meta model questions, um, and also understanding how people organize and process their thoughts. Um, I'm sure John's going to, he might mention it, but I'm going to mention it ahead of time is, you know, we're taught to do um, paraphrasing in a lot of uh, business. You know, paraphrase what you thought you heard the customer say. So what I'm hearing you say is right. what you right. And, uh, and the funny thing about paraphrasing is to us, it's the highest insult you can do for somebody. <laughs> their words into some other words so that you can understand, you know. So, you know, John always says we, we teach parrot phrasing instead of paraphrasing because, you know, if somebody says they want three bedrooms, they want three bedrooms. They don't want three rooms to sleep in, you know. They don't want three boudoirs, you know. If they say, I need three bedrooms, then you say, oh, so you need three bedrooms. And that's it, you know, because paraphrasing and changing things around, you keep losing that emotional connection, you know, and, and building yes sets and all those other things, typical sales, you know, have more meaning when you put the design human engineering and the NLP behind it, because we're understanding how the process it, how the brain is literally going da, 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 click, da, 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 click, <laughs> like like a locksmith opening the locks, you know, and you're listening for that click. So you know the next number and you're listening for the next click. And there's the next number. And that's what, when you take the power of NLP and the language patterns and design human engineering, being able to see how people process and store information. So if you see they're going in a certain place every time they think of something good, then you know that's where you want to mark when you're when you're talking to them. Right, especially here where they're going. Oh, I didn't really like that. I didn't really like mm-hmm. that. Then stay away from that area. <laughs> you know, that's a simple yeah. explanation of a little more complicated process. Yeah, but we're adding all this on to whatever is already a fantastic sales model. That um, you know, you, you got to get to the. You got to get the language is so important. That's what I try to tell people. You know, I hate to say it's really good to be a grammar Nazi, but it's good to be a grammar Nazi. I was, John, John, I was the same way. Diagramming sentences. This is absolutely true. When we have the diagram sentences 
and it was time for recess, I would stay in the classroom and say, I want more sentences to diagram. I loved it. I'd ask for more sentences for homework and a kid next to me would slap me and go, take mine if you want more. I did. I really enjoyed it. Well, here, here's another here's another example. So I'll, I'll do real quick because where the DHC stuff comes in, you know, you know, in NLP, and I guess we can explain that, whereas the map is not the territory, you know, which means, you know, the menu is not the meal. So so you're looking at a map of something. OK, now there's the menu is a map, but it's not what you're going to eat. Right. I mean, keep keep it simple. But I've said this for years and got it because of Tesla. The map may not be the territory, but the territory is the map. Everything out here started up here. Somebody dreamed it, thought it, planned it, you know, designed it. And then they then they built it out here. Fair enough. Right. OK, so the chair you're sitting on, you know, somebody didn't just it didn't, it didn't just appear under your ass. Right. You know, somebody had to design it and they started up here and doing all this. Now, so let's say, let's say real, I'm going to go to real estate for a moment because I, I have a couple of different areas I use for, for, for uh, right. examples. Okay. Well, somebody comes in and, and you say to them, there's a couple of things that people don't even, they don't even acknowledge, by the way. Okay. When I, when I worked with the, with Ryland, there was one guy, the president said to me one day, he said, what's all this? Uh, how do I know this shit works? I'm paying you pretty good money. I said, you don't know how, you don't know that it works. You got the economy. It's 1990. Things are hitting a shitter. We're going to end up in a war somewhere in Iraq, whatever. I said, you got too much. There's so many other factors. I'm not responsible for all of the factors you have to put up with every day. And he said, okay. He said, how about we do an experiment? I said, go ahead. What is it? He said, how about I give you my worst sales guy? If you can get him to sell anything, then I know it works. I said, that's a sucker bet. That's a sucker bet. Okay, come on. I'm better than that. Give me the best one you have. Give me the best guy you have. And what's a good increase? He goes, I'll take 10 points. I said, give me the best one you have. If, you, if I can get him increase his sales by 10%, okay, or more than 10%, you pay me double. And if I don't, I'm going to fulfill fill my contract for the next five years for free. Come on, wow. come on, boss. What do you think? That, that's risk reversal. <laughs> hey, and he, he looks at me and he goes, I, I, can't, I, can't, I can't do the bet thing. I really can't. But I like the idea. So he gives me this kid, 28-year-old hotshot. This kid was good. I picked up a few pointers from him, really simple ones, and, and, I, and I use them. This kid, I spent one or two days with this kid. He picked up really fast. He went, are you ready? He went from seven to 17 million the following year. Now, did the company's all sales go up like that? No, it was only his. Because people would come in, he didn't get along with engineers and computer scientists. So people would come in and go, so what do you do? They go, oh, I'm an engineer. You go, oh, you go see Bob. Bob, Bob Bobby, Bobby handles the engineers, okay? Because those guys and, and, and gals, they're real auditory, okay? And this guy couldn't handle that. They wanted details. They wanted more information, all that stuff. Once I told him what to do and how to handle these, these people, then he started not going. He wasn't sending them to Bobby anymore. So Bobby's sales went down. Company sales were still okay. And this guy's sales went up because of that, just that one thing, okay? So somebody comes in, okay? So here's it. So you go like this because- Everything, people, when you talk, you know, us Italians, you know, we talk with our hands a lot. So, and a lot of people do, but we do that because we're, we're showing you what we have up in here as we're explaining things to you. We're doing all this. We're going like this, you know, you take the dough, you got to mix the dough up, you know, like this. Yeah. So if you walked in and you said, and I said to you, hi, what can I do for you today? And you said, I'm interested in buying a home. You know, I'd say my, then a couple other home, you know, comments or whatever. And I said, so let me ask you a question. I said, what do you want in your new home? What's important to you in your new home? That's a simple question. People already know about that. And I watch them. I want to see them face to face. I don't, I don't like the over the, over the phone stuff. 
And because they can hang up on you, you know, and in any kind of sales, I tell people the reason for a phone call is only one reason, get a face to face, get on a fucking airplane. So you would say to me, oh, what I want and what is important to me. Okay. Well, I guess I go, I need, and that's a modal operator, you know, the motivator. I'll just make it a motivator word for your listeners. <coughs> I need three bedrooms. I want two full bathrooms, one upstairs and one downstairs. They're pointing, they're putting their map right in front of me. Right. Or painting. Okay. I also want a large family room, a large living room. Oh, oh, and I'd like to have um, the fireplace and the outside patio deck. And I go, let me see if I understand. Okay. You need three bedrooms, two full baths, one up, one down. You want a large family room, large living room. I also like to have a fireplace and the outside patio back. And they drop to their knees. I love you. You understand me. This is all about rapport. But fuck marrying and matching. and, and uh, Well, you are. No, you are. You're doing it differently. No, but I mean, but John, I mean, externally, when they cross their legs, you cross your legs and that sort of thing. Only if I'm not getting any place. <laughs> when I did the, when I did the uh, basic audition with Ryland, one guy, you know, he was, a, he was a, from Texas, actually, young guy. He was like the training coordinator guy. Then it was like the HR guy. And then it was the, the VP. The VP was a real asshole. So I meet them at a model home down, down in uh, Maryland. And I get out of my car. The guy, the young guy texts, he gets out of his car. Okay. I figure I got to nail this guy quick and easy because they're going to say, well, how do you like the guy? Not that he's got much of a choice, but I got to nail him down. He's going to be the easy one. It's out of the car. And he goes, I go, oh, Charlie? He goes, yeah. I said, he goes, oh, you John? I said, yeah. Wow. Great suit. Italian silk, isn't it? He goes, yeah. Mm, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I said, Silk shirt too, Italian. Yep, yep. Tony Llama boots. Tony Llama boots. He goes, oh yeah, Tony Llama boots. He's all proud. We're done. We're going into model home. So I sit through the matching thing with him and the HR guy. So now I got them matched. I'm trying to match with the uh, the, the VP of sales. He's being an asshole. He he sit with his legs crossed. So I sit with my legs crossed. He shouldn't change his legs. He put his feet on a fucking coffee table. I put my feet. I go to put my feet on a coffee table. Put his feet down. I said, you know what? We're not doing this physical matching shit with this guy. So so I got him to say just one sentence. I said to him, I said, you know, I haven't heard much from you, Bob. I said, what do you what do you want to be sure is in this program? You know, once once you bring us in and do this thing. And he says some sentence like, well, I'm really interested more in what these guys have to say about it. You know, because they're going to be the guys running it. They know more about what's got on the field. One sentence I got. I ignored that son of a bitch. And I spoke to them in his voice tone, his cadence, okay, and everything. And about five minutes in, I just ignored him. I didn't even look at him. I talked to the two guys. And once, and then once I thought I had him, I went like this. He went like that. I looked at him. I said, I got you. And I sat back in my chair. He called me a son of a bitch. He goes, how'd you do that? I go, hey, man, this is an audition. Okay? I don't tell you shit until the first check clears. This reminds me. I asked my nephew, the magician. I said, um... He did a trick for me. I said, how did you do that? He said, can you keep the secret? I said, yeah. I said, so can I. On that <laughs> note, you, uh, John and Kathleen, you've been so generous with your time. And this has been fantastic. And, and it's so good to catch up with you guys. I would love to have you back because you're a wealth of information. And you're yeah, going to yourself. If folks want to learn more about what you've got and how to get, how would they get in touch with you? What's the best way? And we'll put it in the show liner notes as well. PureNLP.com. 
If they're interested in where Richard's being at, you know, it's be richardbandler.com. We travel together and everything. And also, we have a very exciting subscription website now called oh. NLP Eternal. NLP Eternal. Wow. Streaming. Yeah, and it's it's streaming. Um, you get a subscription for the year, and you have access to old stuff and new stuff. And Let's do this. Let's stay in touch. I would love to see you guys in July in Orlando, even though, and we'll go to the alligator farm together and feed some live chickens. <laughs> All right. I'll catch you guys later. Thank sure. you so much. All right. All right thanks, well, thanks, Paul. Good seeing you again. Bye. The Influencer's Edge is brought to you by the Invisible Influence Series. If you're ready to massively increase your sales by leveraging the power of subconscious persuasion, then make sure you text the word COMPEL to 411-321. That's COMPEL to 411-321. And if you're outside of the United States, then use WhatsApp and text the word COMPEL to 1-909. 741-1321. Make sure you put in your best email address because that's how we'll deliver the goodies. Thank you for tuning in to the Influencer's Edge, where you get the latest breakthroughs, cutting-edge insights, tools, and techniques so you can leapfrog over the pack at sales, influence, and persuasion. Remember to visit our website at www.theinfluencersedge.com to enjoy even more great episodes like this one. We look forward to seeing you again on The Influencers Edge Show.